Um, so this morning, if you grabbed an out or if you grabbed a, a bulletin, you'll notice on the back of the bulletin, uh, you'll find an outline. Uh, I do encourage you to to take notes. That's something that I always find very helpful um, for me, just to kind of help. Uh, help the text sink in a little bit more. Uh, give us something to go back to and reference. This is something we use often in our community groups. Uh, it's, a, it's a helpful tool um, to do that. Um, so also, I just want to thank you as well. Thank you for allowing me to come here and preach this morning. I'm, I'm thankful that we um, are part of and we serve in a church where our leadership desires to not um, hoard the pulpit. Uh, I'm thankful that we, we are in a church that allows us to come up and, and, and teach the word uh, to those that desire to do it. Um, so thank you, Ted. Thank you for our elders for allowing me to come and, and bring a word this morning. Uh, if you will, go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, the book of 1 John. We'll be in chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 5, and we're going to go through the second verse of chapter 2. I'll be reading from the ESV. John says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So for those of you that are fans of 90s Christian music, you'll understand why it is that I've had DC Talk stuck in my head for the last couple of weeks, uh, but uh, it's good. This is a good text. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but before we jump in, just a couple of, of quick reminders, some, some callbacks to last week's message uh, there are several reasons that John wrote this letter to the church. Uh, he actually uses that, that verbiage several times throughout the letter, but last week Drew did a great job in pointing out chapter 5, verse 13, what the overarching goal of this book is. It's there that John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Praise God, right? See, John wants us to have security in our position in Christ. This is not some fleeting feeling that we have based on how it is that we have behaved. This is not a vengeful God that's dangling us over a hellfire just waiting for a good enough excuse to cut the string, right? To the purpose of John's writing here, it's an encouragement of who God is despite who we are. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a God that desires relationship with us. For those of us that have accepted Christ as their Savior, we understand that the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. John is writing these things as a reminder. He writes these things as an encouragement of the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ and how it is that we are to walk in light of that salvation. So much of living that out is understanding who God is, right? Right? 
So I love the way that Drew put this last week. Uh, We must know the real so that we don't settle for the fake. When I was a kid, when I was uh, probably about six, about my son's age, um, I used to think I only liked Kraft Parmesan cheese. So my mom would make me spaghetti, and, and if she dared put a bottle of great value Parmesan cheese in front of me, I would not eat it. Say what you want about me, I am a man of conviction. <laughs> but as I now know as an adult, and by the way, I think this is now two consecutive sermons that I've said that my parents have fooled me. They are great people. I want you to know that. <laughs> it all has to do with food. But as I now know as an adult, uh, name brand groceries are not cheap, Right? So this presented a dilemma for my parents, but their solution is that they took an empty bottle of Kraft Parmesan cheese, and they filled it with great value Parmesan cheese. Unaware of their deception, I ate it, and I enjoyed it. See, I thought I knew, but I I did not know what the real thing tasted like. I didn't know what it felt like. I thought I did, but I didn't know what it was. I just needed it in that packaging. Church, we're always to be on guard. False teaching comes to us in packaging that looks like the real thing, right? If we don't know what the real thing tastes like, if we don't know what it feels like, if we don't know that texture, that taste on our tongue, if we can't discern oftentimes the subtle difference between sound doctrine and heresy, then we will fall prey to the lies of this world and we will stray from the path of God. So in verse 5 of our text, John is good to clarify who God is and who he is not. It says there that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So John here, he gives us a simple test. It's a simple test to tell if it is God or if it is not. Is it light or is it darkness? This is important because he's speaking of the very nature of God. He doesn't say here that God is in the light, right? He doesn't say here that God loves the light. He says that God is light. Beyond that, it says that he is pure light. It says there that in him is no darkness at all. This is not some some yin and yang type situation where in the light there is some darkness and in the darkness there is some light. If there is any darkness at all, any darkness, it is not God. So what is light and what is darkness? That should beg that question from us, right? We can boil this down pretty simply. Light symbolizes good. Darkness symbolizes evil. Light brings about revelation. Light is pure. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness hides. It brings about fear. When's the last time you ever heard of somebody being afraid of the light? Galatians 5 gives us a good frame of reference for this. Starting in verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I I love how Paul puts that there at the end too. And things like these. When he says, and things like these, he's basically giving us a, okay, you guys get the point. Okay, this is not an exhaustive list of things that are dark, but this is gonna give us a really good frame of reference, right? Then he goes on in verse 22 to tell us the things that are light. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. See, if we are acting in the spirit, or as our text would say today, if we are walking in the light, these are the things that are naturally going to flow from us. These fruit will automatically come from us. There are so many parts of scripture where we have a clearly laid out definition of light versus darkness, but unfortunately, we just don't have the time this morning to dive into each of them. But instead, we grasp this higher level concept right? This higher level concept of light versus darkness, good and evil, so that we can dive further into the text in front of us today. Light is good. Darkness is evil. Now, in the next several verses, John gives us three counter hypotheses. There was a group of people influencing the church called the secessionists. This is not to be confused with cessationists, which is those today who would hold to the doctrine that um, tongues and prophecy are dead gifts. These were instead men that were inside or outside of the church that were pushing false doctrine. They were pushing heresies. They claimed Christ, at least at one point, but they had fallen away from Christ. They thought they were of Christ, but they left the true gospel. So John presents us with these three counter-hypotheses. Each of these counter-hypotheses are addressing lies that were creeping into the church through the secessionists. These counter-hypotheses are competing statements so that we can understand on a practical level how to tell light and darkness apart. The first of these is found in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. It says there, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That brings us to the first point in our outline this morning, which is our walk matters. So the first of these counter hypotheses speaks of walking in light versus walking in darkness and the implications of how or where we walk. Now, it's always tempting here, and I think we, we, we have a habit of saying things like, uh, we live in an age, or in today's culture, right? Those are phrases that we use a lot of times, but I'm really hesitant to say that because the further I dive into Scripture, the older I get, the more that I see the world for what it is and Scripture for what it is, the more I see that the sins it's pointing out here are not new. We may have more exposure to it. We have broad media today. We have social media. We have more access to things. So we may have more exposure to it. It may be presenting itself in a more aggressive or even a more nuanced way than it once did. But let's not be deceived. This sin is not new. The idea of fellowship with God while walking in darkness is not new. So we've all watched sports or award shows or presentation of some sort where the person being interviewed or the person giving an award, first thing out of their mouth is, I first want to thank God, right? We've all seen those. And that sounds really good, like especially when it's like the first thing out of their mouth, I first want to thank God. Like that's a good thing to do. It's good that we thank God. I can say for me personally, I've had a habit of hearing and assuming I'm assuming that if someone wants to thank God first, or if they want to thank their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that they believe as I believe. But the more times I've I've seen those men or women exposed for their heretical beliefs, or more comes to light about the way that they actually live their lives, how they're walking, 
the less I come to trust those statements of faith, just those one-off statements of faith. It's not an all-out saying of, oh, this person doesn't really mean that. It's not that. It's just saying that as we take these things in, we need to test them. We need to see how the walk is. So many people want to claim God, but they don't want to follow God. They want fellowship with God, but they walk in darkness. They want to embrace the lies that our culture spreads. They want to take the scriptures and read them according to their agenda, as opposed to forming their agenda based on what the scriptures say. And in verse 6, it's where John reveals to us this isn't new. It's been decades. It's been millennia. Men and women have said that they loved God, but they walk in darkness. John here says that's not possible. If we have fellowship with God, it says that God is what? God is light. So if we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with light, and light overcomes the darkness. So how can we walk in darkness while we are walking in the light? We can't. It's impossible. If we are walking in the light, the light will overcome the darkness. So this begs the question, does that mean we don't sin? We'll deal with that more throughout the text, but of course the short answer is no. The question here is not if we sin or not. The question is how we walk. How are we characterized? Are we characterized by our obedience to God? Or are we characterized by our evil deeds? Are we characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Or are we characterized by the acts of the flesh? We've dealt with similar statements as a church before as we walked through the qualifications of elders and deacons, right? In 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for elders are laid out. Uh, the easiest way to make this point right now is looking at one of the qualifications being self-controlled. There will be instances in which an elder in a church does not exercise spirit-provided self-control. So they shouldn't be an elder, right? They don't have self-control. When that happens, when he loses self-control, is he convicted? Does he confess? Does he reconcile with the person or with the people that he sinned against? Is this lack of self-control, is that the exception or is that the rule? See, these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. It's a question an elder needs to ask himself, right? These things do not excuse the sin. Let's be clear on that. Confession, repentance, reconciliation, these things don't excuse the sin, but they can define the walk. The same should be seen here. Sinning does not mean that we are actively walking in darkness. But when we do sin, if we are not open to correction, if we are not sensitive to conviction, if we continue in that sin, if we embrace that sin, we become characterized by it and we walk in darkness. The second statement in this counter-hypothesis is that as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I think it's interesting here that John gives us two different types of fellowship. In verse 6, he speaks with, of fellowship with God. He says, if you claim to have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness. But it's in verse 7, that's not what he says. In verse 7, uh, we are walking in the light. So if we're walking in the light, that fellowship with God is already implied. 
This is assuming that we are walking in the light. We do have fellowship with God. So as we walk in the light, as we have fellowship with God, another form of fellowship will naturally manifest itself. That is fellowship with fellow believers. Every one of us in this room has been told by someone that they don't need to attend church. Their relationship with God is personal, so they're going to live that out personally. Why do I need the church, right? I don't need that bunch of hypocrites. Why would I give up my Sunday mornings? I thank God that we do have a personal Savior. I thank God that he cares about me as an individual. But let us not forget that the church is his bride. Our faith is not intended to be lived on an island. I'd go as far as to question whether choosing to live your faith on an island is exercising true faith at all. I believe that's what John is questioning here as well. If we walk in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. True relationship with God manifests itself in true fellowship with other believers. Say that again. True relationship with God manifests itself in true relationship with other believers. That's why we're here this morning. That's why throughout the week we're intentional to provide opportunities for the body to be the body outside of this building. This building is not the church. We are the church. The settings that we provide are our community group settings. And if you are not a a part of one, I would encourage you to join one. We can be challenged in the word. We can worship through song while we meet together. Praise God we're doing that this morning. It's an encouraging thing. But it's during our community group meetings that we are stirred into deep, meaningful, messy, beautiful relationship with fellow believers. I've got the the privilege of leading a community group with Drew. Um, He may not speak a ton during those meetings, but when he does speak, we listen. Because we know we're going to be challenged. We're going to be encouraged. I wouldn't have known that if I were not in group with him. Real quick, if you are a community group leader, would you, would you real quick just raise your hand? Leave them up for a minute. So kind of spread throughout here. Kind of spread throughout. If you are not in a community group, if you're not in a community group, I would challenge you to find one of these men after service and just have a chat with them for a few minutes. Talk with them about their groups. Talk with them about how it is that we live our lives together, the way that we pray for each other, the way that we encourage each other, the amount of growth that's happened since we've been in these groups. I understand some of you, because of work or other obligations, may not, you may not have the opportunity to attend a group. That does not excuse us from intentionally seeking to be part of the body. If you are not intentionally seeking fellowship with the body through other means of one-on-one or small group discipleship, I encourage you to do that. Seek it out. True relationship with God manifests itself in true relationship with other believers. Now, the other promise we're given in this verse is that the blood of Christ will cleanse us from all sins. Again, we're not promised to be sin-free. It's actually implied here that we're going to sin. This does not say the blood of Jesus keeps us from sinning altogether. It cleanses us. It's because we have surrendered our lives to the one and only Savior that he has imputed his righteousness on us. We are not clean because we don't sin. We are clean because he cleaned us. So don't let your sin bog you down and keep you from fellowship with God. Walk in the light. Pray for conviction. That's a hard one right there. Pray for conviction. Pray that our sins would be exposed, even those sins that we are committing without even knowing that we're committing them. 
So we move on now to John's second counter hypothesis. This is found in verses eight and nine, and that takes us as well to our second point, which is our sins matter. John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here John is addressing in verse 8 the secessionist doctrine that uh, they were basically saying they have not sinned since they were saved. They're saying from the point of salvation, they believe they had not saved. They They had not sinned. It's good for them, right? That's pretty cool. How'd you do that? (laughs) I can tell you that's not been my experience. I can tell you that I have been justified by the blood of Christ for many years, but sin has been present in my life as early as this morning, as recently as this morning. Sin is, and it will always be, a constant battle for the believer. So let's talk about the line that delineates the believer from the non-believer. The line is not that one sins and one does not. It's not saying the believer is sin-free and the non-believer just continues in their sin. That's not what it's saying here. The line is that the non-believer is blind to their sin and even embraces it while the believer actively does battle with it. And during battle, we're going to take some blows, right? In college, I uh, participated in some boxing These were non-sanctioned events in the second floor lobby of Landon Hall. It's not great. Uh, But I did learn during that time that uh, we're going to take some blows during battle. I learned during that time that we're going to get knocked down sometimes. But in our walk through the strength of Christ and the power of the Spirit, we will not be overtaken in our battle with sin. We're going to get knocked down but we will not be overtaken. This doctrine that was being pushed that the Christian is actually free from sin, it's counter to the doctrine of sanctification, right? Sanctification is the already, but not yet. I am saved, I am justified, I am redeemed by the blood of Christ, and I'm not perfect, but I'm getting there. He is drawing me closer and closer to him. I will one day be perfected. If we were perfect from the time of our justification, there would be no need for sanctification. So we thank God that while we still do battle with our sin, while we still lose those battles sometimes and give in to the temptations of this world, that his favor is still on us. We don't serve a fickle God and praise him for that. So as we move on to verse 9, the counter-argument to verse 8 is made. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, sinning is implied here. We aren't perfect. We fall short, right? But believer, we must own up to our sin. The act of confession is powerful. Seeking confession, seeking forgiveness, it means that we are embracing the light, It means we desire for our sins to be out in the open. We we desire for our sins to be exposed so that we can do battle with them. Real quick, I have a bad habit. I have a bad habit of when I teach, I typically have um, an illustration that has to do with superhero movies. So here it is. So I like superhero movies. Um, Batman, The Dark Knight is one of my favorite movies. 
And uh, so I was thinking back on some of the Batman movies with this one. His nickname is the Dark Knight. He, he fights crime in a dark suit. He does most of his crime fighting at night, right, in the dark. So you'll see the bad guys in a room. It cuts to a scene. You'll see the bad guys in a room. And they're doing their bad guy thing. And then all of a sudden the light goes out. And, oh, man, look out, bad guys, right? Batman's here. So Batman is fighting them, but these guys are in the dark. They have no idea what they're even fighting. They don't know where he is. They don't know how many of them there are. They don't know what weapons they're using, any of that. They've got no shot, right? They're fighting in the dark. They're at a disadvantage. So just like the bad guys in Batman, we should seek the light. It's not a perfect illustration, but it kind of gets the point, right? We should seek the light. We should seek that our enemy be exposed so that we can openly do battle against it. As we walk in the light, as we confess our sins, they're exposed. Daggone, that's uncomfortable. That is super uncomfortable, right? Especially when we confess to one another, that's uncomfortable. I can recall a recent time in community group where uh, I had an opportunity to be prayed over. And, and during that time, we were intentional to, uh, we're not praying over our Aunt Susie's bad haircut that she had a couple weeks ago. We're praying about the, the things that are truly impacting our walk. We're praying about the things that are impacting our lives, that are keeping us from having that true relationship, that are keeping us from walking in the light. So I was confessing sins to my community group. Tears are just streaming down my face at this point. Guys, I hate crying. It is the worst. I hate crying. Because when I cry, it's embarrassing. I can't even talk when I'm crying. I'm just a, 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 a blubbering fool at that point. It's embarrassing. I mean, at that point, I'm the community group leader, right? I'm the guy that's there. I'm the guy that's been teaching and leading for years, so all of a sudden to be reminded that, yeah, I'm actually the low man on the totem pole. Like, my sin struggle is the same as every single person's sin struggle in this church. That's humbling. But it's freeing. It's freeing. It puts me in battle with my fellow believers. As our sins are exposed, we are no longer fighting those sins alone. As our sins are exposed, as we confess them in those types of settings, we have others that come alongside us and they're praying for us. They're checking in on us. They're doing these things to help battle that sin with us. Confession is good. As we confess, as we see our sins for what they are, for the shame that they cause and the death that they bring, we're reminded that we serve a faithful God. Our God loves us. Our God sees that our sin separates us from him. So he promised us a way back. Praise God that he is faithful to that promise. As we confess our sins, he shows his faithfulness in reconciling us to him. He shows his just nature in that he is faithful to his promises. And he cleanses us from the sin he knows that we still do battle with. Let us continually be grateful for our faithful God. So we move on now to verse 10. This brings us to the final point in our outline this morning. Our final point is that our sin nature matters. The third lie that some of the secessionists were bringing in, that they were embracing, that they were spreading, is that the sin nature, our sin nature, does not exist. This one we might actually consider is the most dangerous of the three lies that are being addressed here. 
The text says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See, this goes a step further than the previous false doctrine. Previously, John addresses the lie that the true believer does not sin only after they've been saved. This, however, at least still recognizes a sin nature. It at least still recognizes that we are depraved at our very core, right? But then it comes to this lie, this lie that we don't have this indwelt sin. John is bold. He doesn't mince words when he addresses this lie. Those that deny a sin nature exists call God a liar. There's actually a difference here in between verse 6 and verse 10. Uh, verse 6 says that we are liars. We are deceived. This is saying that we actually call God a liar. How dare we do that? Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us the heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Ecclesiastes 7.20 tells us, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So the epistles, the prophets, they're pretty clear on this, right? They recognize that we are sinful at our very core. What about Jesus? Mark 7.21-23, through 23, the words of Jesus. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. This is not saying that because we live in this desperately sick world that our circumstances cause us to sin. This is pretty straightforward. Jesus says here that our sin is already here. He says that our sin comes from within. I worked in software for a while, and there's this concept of out of the box. A lot of you have probably heard of that. What does this software do out of the box? What, if I just install this, what's it going to do for me right now versus what do I have to like play with it a little bit to do? What do I got to configure it for? Sin is an out of the box feature for man. It's plug and play. It's ready to go. It does not need to be configured. We may learn how to do it better, right? We're really inventive with our sin. We get really good at it. We get more inventive with the way our sin nature manifests itself, but that sin comes standard in the base model. There's none of us that is the exception to that. Here, Jesus also takes the way, the notion of a, of a tiered approach to sin. He takes away our ability to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy, right? In the same sentence, he couples envy with murder. Have you ever envied someone? Congratulations, you're on the same plane as the murderer. He couples evil thoughts with adultery. He couples pride with theft. There is no separation. He calls sin, sin, and he tells us where it came from, right here. So we read from God's word that sin comes from within. It's built into us. And then this group comes along and says, no, no, it doesn't. We don't have a sin nature. This group calls God a liar. So that causes us to circle back to verse five, to the nature of God. 
Verse five, we're told that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you're a liar, that means you lie. Lying is evil. This cast God is a liar. This is a contradiction that they would look at the light and they would call it darkness. If we deny that the sin nature exists, we show that the word is not in us. Church, let's, let's own up to it. We've all sinned, right? We continue to sin. We are not left in our sin. As we move to a close, we move into chapter two, where John tells us the purpose for this particular piece of his letter, this little excerpt. He says there in chapter one, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John's hope in writing this is that it would make us aware. It's a reminder. Stay on guard. It's an encouragement to continue to battle with sin. As followers of Jesus, we don't give up on this fight. We don't compromise in the foundational truths of God. But we do sin, right? I'm so thankful that we're given comfort after this. He says, man, I write this to you so that you don't sin. But then he comes back and says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Church, we have an advocate in Jesus. Through the sacrifice of God's Son on the cross, we have access to the Father. And though we sin, though we continue to sin, we continue to do battle with our sinful nature, he bore the sins of the whole world on that cross so that we might have life. This is a free gift. It's already been paid for. It's ready to accept. If you're here this morning and you've not done so already, surrender your life to him. You saw the hands of the community groups that were up earlier? I can guarantee you that all of us would be happy to talk with you. Same with Ted, Matt, Kyle, our elders. Any number of people in this body would, be, would love to talk with you. As the band, uh, band can go ahead and make their way up, uh, as the band makes their way up, uh, you can find one of us, I would encourage you to during this final song, you can find one of us after the service. Uh, we'd love to talk to you more about the grace, the gift of grace that was graciously offered to you. Um, we'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so good to have given us an advocate. You are so good to have reminded us that we are not to embrace our sin. We are not to stay in our sin, but that you have given us a way out. You are so good to have cleaned us from that sin and continually keep us clean. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it encourages, how it reminds. We thank you for your body. We thank you for how we draw each other. You draw us close to each other. Lord, we thank you for your son most of all. We thank you that through him that we, we do have access to you. Lord, we pray these things through Jesus' name. Amen.